This is Faye Hartman, and you're listening to We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers that connect us, a podcast series brought to you by American Rivers. Perhaps because it's so critical, water can often feel like this abstract thing. We know we need it. But we don't always pause to understand the myriad of ways that it courses through our lives and our communities. From high mountain headwaters to estuaries at the ocean's edge and the depths of the ocean itself, water, it bridges generations, families, cultures, and geographies. For the Hispanic Access Foundation, this connection to water is central to the work that they do and to the people who work with members and who they are as humans. In this series from We Are Rivers, we're going to spend episode one hearing about Hispanic Access Foundation's work to engage Latino communities in conservation and the role that personal connections to water play in inspiring the work of the foundation. In episode two, we'll take a deeper dive into people's personal connections with water through their intimate stories about the way water connects us to culture, family, the environment, and each other. Agua is vida, right? This idea that water is life, you know, without water we can't perform the basic functions that we need as as a species to survive. That's Jessica Godinez, the Conservation Program Associate for the Hispanic Access Foundation. My name is Jessica Godinez. Um, I'm currently based right outside of Denver in Golden, Colorado. Um, And I first got involved with the Hispanic Access Foundation, um, I guess almost three years ago now, actually as an intern first. Um, So I applied for an internship through their program um, and landed a a position with the Forest Service out here in Denver. Um, And that's kind of what brought me out here. I worked in that position for about a year and a half. Um, But I moved here from Richmond, Virginia. Um, After my internship, a position with Hispanic Access Foundation opened up um, and I applied and received the position that I'm in now, which is the Conservation Program Associate. which has been really exciting. It's been kind of a natural transition from my internship, which was working around outdoor access and um, creating opportunities for the Latino community to be engaged with the Forest Service and outdoor recreation. Um, It blended in nicely with the work that I do now, which is um, the same thing on a a bigger scale um, and involves a lot more advocacy work as well. The Hispanic Access Foundation is a um, small but mighty national nonprofit that is based in Washington, D.C., um, but as I mentioned, I'm in Colorado, and um, yeah, we're a staff of about 13, I think, now, so small but mighty fits, fits very well with us. Um, we have a few kind of big programs, so as I mentioned, I'm in the conservation program where we focus on creating opportunities for the Latino community to be involved with conservation efforts, um, whether that's on the ground, you know, getting involved with outdoor recreation, um, or providing resources um, and research on how the Latino community is directly affected and connected to different conservation issues, and particular climate change, and this year we're focusing on oceans. Um, I mentioned also to our internship program is kind of our other big, big program area, which is uh, made up of a few different partnerships with basically every land management agency in the country um, where we place interns for um, rigorous internships with National Park Service, Forest Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, 
um, service. And it's been, you know, continuing to grow and is a really great way to get um, Latino students involved in, in these types of jobs and um, really encourages just the creation of that, that job pipeline and placing underrepresented voices in, in big agencies and areas where they can affect change. Our mission is to establish bridges of access that provide a path for the development and rise of Latino leaders um, and elevate their voices in areas in which they are underrepresented. So um, our, the way that we do that is through those three big programs, the conservation, the faith-based leadership network, and, and our internship program. The Hispanic Access Foundation establishes bridges of access that provide a path for the development of Latino leaders and voices in areas in which they are underrepresented. This includes conservation and the water sector. Latinos are actually on track to becoming 30% of the population of the U.S. by 2050, um, which is a big number. You know, so that means that our, our voice is more important than ever and how we address the threats to our ocean by climate change. Um, and like I mentioned, we're also directly affected by these threats. Um, mostly disproportionately because of where we live, where we work, and the limited access to healthcare resources or community faces. So, you know, really engaging the Latino voice is super important because it makes up such a big part of the population, but um, also because, you know, we're, we're the most impacted. So I guess we have more to lose is, is kind of what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, these effects are more noticeable in our community right now, especially you know when we're just now starting to see a lot of these dramatic effects by climate change. Um, so it's, it's just super important and timely to, to be engaging this voice. The disproportionate impacts of climate change on Latino communities, paired with gaps in understanding about those impacts, compelled the Hispanic Access Foundation to elevate the voices of Latino experts working on the front lines of climate change by creating the Oceans Advisory Council. We also recognize that our community is often the most impacted by the effects of climate change, which include the threats to our ocean, um, to our ocean and to our rivers and to all of our waterways. And so a lot of our community works and lives near oceans or other bodies of water and depend on that for, for their livelihoods. And so, you know, when we started doing some more research on oceans, we realized that there was a big gap in the research, in particular to Latino communities and their connection to water and how they are kind of affected by that. So it's just recognizing that that gap was there um, and that our, our community is, you know, kind of at the front lines of climate change. So any any negative impacts that our oceans face ocean directly affect our community. Our Oceans Advisory Council um, kind of started at the beginning of our oceans work this year when you know, we realized we wanted to put together all of this research and information on oceans and the Latino connection to oceans and rivers. Um, we wanted to find a way to um, primarily engage a lot of our alumni. So, it, through our internship program that's you know been going on for a few years, we have a large group of alumni that we haven't engaged a whole lot before. So we wanted to find a way to both engage those alumni uh, in our network, but also find the experts and let them be the voice and let them kind of lead the work that we do. We, that's how we kind of take to be this um, inaugural group of our Oceans Advisory Council was really paying attention to the connections that we've already had and, and finding the experts in their own field there. So we wanted, you know, experts on ocean conservation um, as well as P 
people who have experience working and connecting the Latino community to conservation at large. For Jessica and members of the Oceans Advisory Council, their personal connection to rivers and oceans to water informs the work that they do with the Hispanic Access Foundation in significant ways. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and actually spent my adolescent years um, about 40 minutes west of that in Montpelier, Virginia. But um, Richmond has kind of always been my home base. It's where most of my family is. And um, Richmond is known as the River City, um, and the James River runs right through it. And, um, you know, it's kind of the big landmark of Richmond is, is the river and the different um, entry points to the river. Um, and we also have Virginia Beach, which wasn't too far away from Richmond. It you know, ends up being just about a two-hour drive away, which um, isn't too bad. It, you know, you can definitely still take a day trip to the beach there. Um, we did take a couple of visits every year, um, but we're really thankful to just have that access to the water, which, um, so, you know, a lot of my, my early memories of the beach and water are, are revolve around um, just being with my family and having that opportunity to connect with my family. Jessica's story of water and family is in many ways unique, but it's also shared by some of her colleagues. My name is Ashley Suarez. Uh, a lot of people just tell me Ashley. I was born in Miami. Uh, you know, I'm a 305 type of girl, South Florida. Well, the ocean is no less than 20 minutes like away in any direction possible. So, like, everyone knows somebody with a boat or, like, you spent the weekends, you know, at the beach. Um, at least for me, my dad, like, taught us, me and my brothers, how to fish with, like, a yo-yo. And we're just, like, highly dependent on it, on it, on, like, an economic level through tourism, through seafood industry, through, you know, um, uh, ecotourism as well. So it's always been a really big aspect of my life. And I, it feels really weird when I have to, like, move away for work or travel a lot to be landlocked for too long of a time. And I always end up coming back <laughs> just to get, like, that salty, sticky breeze and, like, the endless horizon feel to feel, like, relaxed. Uh, I got associated with HALF probably, like, over three years ago now. I was a fellow... Um, with their internship program that they have with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife for the National Wildlife Refuge System at headquarters. Uh, prior to that, I was actually a professional salmon fisherwoman. And um, most recently, I just finished uh, working with Colorado Parks and Wildlife and their marketing department. I studied film and had no idea that I would end up <laughs> in conservation marketing. As Shalee said, water is so important to us as individuals. Let's meet another member of the Oceans Advisory Council, David Riera. So my name is David Riera. Um, that's R-I-E-R-A, not like Rivera, like a lot of people like to put a V in my name for some odd bar reason. Um, I'm very proud of where I come from. So I grew up, um, you know, two blocks away from where I was born um, in, a, in a little in a little metropolitan area called Alapata, um, back in back in the 70s. So, you know, being raised in Alapata, the closest things to water that I had are, you know, these pre-constructed lakes and canals. You know, my dad one time, I think, took me to the Miami River um, just because he was going out there to do some work. Um, 
But, you know, as I was growing up and my brother being born, me and my dad, uh, you know, would go fishing in some of these canals. Uh, he took me to um, Big Cypress. Uh, he took me to Everglades a couple times to just go fishing in some of their canals as well, some of their channels. Um, um, from there, we moved to a couple different metropolitan areas. My parents got divorced when I was 10. One thing that really never changed was where my godparents lived. Uh, my godparents, my godfather, um, he's very prolific. He's, he's a legend to me. Um, he just passed away uh, two weeks ago. And without him, um, I don't think that I would honestly have a as deep a connection um, with water that without without him. I mean, he's a old school, you know, tradesman, boat maker from Cuba. Uh, learned the trade by being around other people. He wasn't formally trained, and his life was the water. You know, I've always been surrounded by water. Whether the water was falling above my head because of the clouds or, you know, the hurricane, you know, busting in a roof or whether on my travels, you know, I walked a lot in high school, you know, between my house and, and going to school, you know, I don't have that, that, you know, story where, you know, I used to walk five miles in the snow. No, I used to walk five miles in rain or five miles in the heat. Um, but along those ways, I always made sure that I was close to some sort of a lake, a body of water. I reflect a lot on these bodies of water. Anytime that I've, I've been in a tough place growing up, I've always gone back to some sort of a lake, canal, river, something. Um, you know, because I see a lot of myself in there and I see a lot of the people that have contributed to the person that I am today, um, you know, in the waves, in the reflection. In episode two, we'll hear more from Shlee and David about their unique, deeply personal connections to water and the creatures and communities that depend on it. As is true for so many of us working in conservation, there came a moment when Jessica and her colleagues went from understanding that we need water to also understanding that it needs us. You know, like I said a little earlier, it was primarily like a source of relaxation, vacation, even like school field trips sometimes uh, in regards to that. Uh, I didn't really make much of a connection other than like it was a place to relax and like have fun and watch people like eat it doing boogie boarding or um, uh, just like having a good time. And then as I got much older after college is when I started to have a true passion for it because I, you know, I did end up doing fishing as a professional career and seeing it not only as like a paycheck, but like as a way of life, you know, some of my colleagues like Virginia and David are also from Miami. So we have really similar stories on most of our childhood and then how it kind of came full circle within our careers of how, you know, starting from playing to now protecting the waters that we love. I think my appreciation for our water has definitely deepened over time and that's kind of been the biggest change and just the way I've come to understand and appreciate it has, has grown tremendously. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned as a kid, being close to the water was special because, man, I was 
spending time with my family and creating memories. And now that I'm older, my relationship with water is definitely more intrinsic. And um, so it's really it's just way more appreciative of, of having water and how that is our life, right? And, and everything that, that it, it provides for us. And with that deep appreciation also comes, you know, this, this deepened sense of, of duty to care for it and to make sure that it, it is sustained for however many more years, you know, we, we want to be living on this planet, you know, it, it, it's essential and um, I've become very aware of that as, as the years go by. Yeah, I think my story definitely has some similarities to others, um, specifically and for others um, you know, that identify as Hispanic or, or Latino, um, because it, it revolves around family time and, and sustenance, right? You know, so for our community, family time is huge. Just being outdoors and being totally engaged as a family is really important to our community. So I think that um, a lot of folks will find similarity to my story in, in that sense that it revolves around family, you know, and um, that a lot of our connection to recreating outdoors, whether that's fishing or, um, you know, just going to the beach is deeply connected with how we spend time with our family. Um, and, you know, to talk a little bit more about fishing is, you know, my grandpa fishes because he likes it, but he also fishes because he likes to eat fish. Um, so for a lot of communities, that, that's the same. Um, and I think, you know, I, I don't know how inspiring my story is, but I, my hope is that it can be inspiring to, to you know, other students, to younger kids, to really just seek out the knowledge and seek out the education and want to be educated on, on, on ocean conservation and how on all the threats that face our oceans and, and how that connects to the greater scheme of climate change and how um, we rely on, on our planet for, for living, for everything. So much of what we can learn from Schlee, David, and Jessica about connecting to water is about the opportunities to connect with it. As a way to reinforce the connection between Latinx communities and rivers, oceans, and the environment in their home communities, the Hispanic Access Foundation started Latino Conservation Week. I love talking about Latino Conservation Week, so I'm always happy to talk a little bit more. Um, but it, it's an initiative of the Hispanic Access Foundation, but what, you know, we're really just kind of the platform, and it's mostly led by our partners across the country. Um, but it was created in 2014 to support the Latino community getting into the outdoors and participating in activities to protect our natural resources. Um, during this week, a lot of different community, nonprofit, faith-based, and government organizations and agencies hold events throughout the country, and um, they really vary on what that looks like. It's anything from hiking and camping to community roundtables and film screenings, um, but they all serve that purpose of promoting conservation efforts and local communities and provide an opportunity for Latinos to show their support for permanently protecting our land, water, and air. Um, so it started in 2014 with just nine events. Um, last year was our sixth year and we hosted over 163 events across the country. Um, and again, all of those are led by our partners. So we do host a number of signature events every year where our staff is directly involved in the planning and the funding of each event. But um, typically, if our partners, um, you know, they, they come up with the events and post them to the website, we help provide different resources for promotion and um, provide a request for support that our partners can apply to for funding support as well. But um, again, we're really just a platform and Latino Conservation Week has 
has become something that is mostly run and owned by our partners. Um, it's been a really great way to just, you know, connect the community to a lot of different partners in their local area, but also just expand the reach of, of Latinos in, in the outdoors, right? It's, it's a great way for us to expand the narrative of what um, outdoor recreation and getting outdoors actually looks like. I, you know, I think um, in, in the U.S., there's a very specific image that comes to mind when you hear things like camping and hiking and and just being outside, and that doesn't always necessarily account for um, a lot of the cultural aspects that our community has when it comes to getting outdoors. You know, and that includes things just like it's a whole family event. You know, you want to engage the whole family. You want music playing. You want food. Um, so it, for us, it's been really cool to just be able to showcase that you know Latinos are are recreating outdoors. It just looks a little different and. You know, how, how can we expand that narrative of what it looks like for, for everybody? Um, so it's been really exciting to see it grow over the years. Again, we have all sorts of different partners engaged, um, including the National Park Service. You know, smaller community partners are interns, um, are not required to host an event, but a lot of the times are interns host events and, you know, get involved with the local community in that sense. Um, but again, it's just, it's really exciting for me because it, it's just cool to see what everybody comes up with um, as far as events go and how everybody is connected now through, through Latino Conservation Week. You know, there are people all over the country who host events. Latino Conservation Week helps individuals in, in, in these spaces, you know, especially in urban spaces, to organize the, the community um, and give them opportunities to connect with their with the environment. You know, sometimes it's not it's not necessarily that people don't have the time. Sometimes it's about showing people, giving people the awareness and the opportunity. So when I was involved with Latino Conservation Week, um, I partnered up with Gen 2050 and Miami Gardens. Um, they were they were doing a huge unveiling of their bees, pollinators, and bats. Um, that was a big event. A lot of people came to that event. My specific event, I followed in suit of my predecessor um, at Everglades. They did something um, that's called that's typically called a sluice log or, or a wet walk, um, and that gives people the opportunity to just walk through a cypress stone. And cypress storms are very, um, very mystical places. You know, they're places that gators, you know, create their nesting grounds, and you see a lot of birds from, you know, and you can see very early on owls in the cypress stone. Um, it was a good way, and everybody that went there was amazed that these opportunities existed. So I feel that, you know, in, in my community, in my Hispanic community, you know, we're so caught up with our day-to-day, -day, our work, you know, and, and that culture of, of hard workness that we don't give ourselves the opportunity be informed of the opportunities that are literally in our backyard. Latino Conservation Week gives us an outlet, a platform, a way to inform the public, and a way to celebrate our, our Latin hood in, um, in, the, in, in our environment, in nature. You know, it's ecotherapy, 100%. And this year definitely looks a little bit differently um, due to the pandemic and everything. Again, most of these events in the past are outdoor outings, you know, we have the occasional film screening or, or virtual event, but for the most part, it's getting outside. Um, so it, we definitely uh, faced some difficulties 
um, these past few months trying to figure out, you know, how how does this translate in, in the time of COVID and what does that look like? But um, ultimately, I think it, it will be a little bit smaller and it will be mostly online. Most of our signature events are virtual this year and I'm really excited about what those look like. Um, we have things like a Latino Conservation Week Loteria game um, coming together. We have different care packages being being put together that include activities related to conservation that families can, you know, register for and put together. Um, people are being really creative with how to engage online virtually, and all of the information that you need to know about Latino Conservation Week is hosted on our website, um, and that is latinoconservationweek.com, um, and, and the point of contact at AKF for LCW, so um, I'm happy to take any questions or um, you know, be connected with anybody by email who is interested in learning more. So what's at stake when we don't connect to water and then work to conserve it? And specifically, what's at stake for Latinx communities? We asked Shalee and Jessica. Everything's at stake. My food's at stake. My drinking water's at stake. My my home. This Man, South is going to be underwater if I don't do something about it. This is my home. My home is going to be the next Atlantis. <laughs> And uh, I laugh because I'm nervous, but it's definitely coming up. And I do the work that I do, A, to protect that. B, I freakishly obsessed with salmon. I really need to make sure that population continues to exist on a wild level. And as well as just like, we need water to drink. We need it. The wildlife needs it. Our, our different ecosystems need it, whether it's fresh or salt water. You know, everything's just so interconnected, like it would crumble apart. I mean, what is it, like 75% of the world is covered in water? So it'll eventually take us over if we don't take care of it, uh, especially with how climate change is just rapidly showing that. You know, I guess what jumps out to me there is that a lot of the work that we do, whether um, it's explicit or not, is around environmental justice, right, and outdoor equity and, and what that looks like in achieving outdoor equity. Um, but a part of climate and environmental justice is social justice. So for me, social and, and racial justice is really the first step to achieving environmental justice. You know, this idea that agua is vida, water is life, and, and it's our most basic need as humans and, you know, for other living species too to survive on this planet. Quite simply, we cannot survive without it and it affects literally every other system in our global ecosystem. So um, our whole life is at stake without it. Thank you for listening to We Are Rivers, conversations about the rivers and the water that connect us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to rate and comment and stay tuned for episode two. We'll dive into some of the inspiring stories of the Hispanic Access Foundation's Oceans Advisory Council members. We'll learn about Schley's self-proclaimed obsession with salmon, David's humbling encounter with a man of war, and other personal stories about why Oceans Advisory Council members do the work that they do to engage Latino voices in the conservation of rivers, oceans, and public lands. Thank you to the interviewees that participated in today's episode, Shlee Suarez, Jessica Godinez, and David Riera. You can learn more about the Hispanic Access Foundation at www.hispanicaccess.org. 
This episode was written and produced by Paige Buono and Faye Hartman with support from American Rivers. If you want to learn more about American Rivers, you can find us on the web at www.americanrivers.org. 